0: Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology and media in Asia. The show is sponsored by idealworkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desks. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at aspirus.co, dot C-O and links.com, where you can sell your products everywhere. Hi new.
1: Hi, Bernard. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. It's a lovely sunny day in Singapore again.
0: It's also a very early morning. I'm speaking to Neil Cross, the Chief Innovation Officer for Development Bank of Singapore. Well, Neil, I know you have started a very illustrious career in technology. You want me to tell us how do you get started?
1: Yes, I mean, I've done many different roles in technology. My first role, I started at the grand old age of 11. I started writing computer games when I was at school. Whoa. Yes, uh, so every evening and weekend, I'll be writing computer games, actually writing something called Assembler, which is an incredibly low-level and complex language, and by the time I was 16, I felt it was time to retire. (laughs) I finished high school, and I I retired for many years.
0: And then after that, you got a few stints in Microsoft and MasterCard. Maybe tell us a little about the lessons of working in a technology company before you come to your current role.
1: Yeah, I mean, I... In fairness, I loved my time at Microsoft, both in Australia and up here in in Singapore running the banking and insurance business for Asia. Tech companies have a a beautiful culture and the way they operate and the way they do things at scale is mind-blowing. You know, Microsoft have this model where they work with partners to deliver their $100 billion a year. So they have millions and millions of people, if not tens of millions around the world, Focused on making Microsoft successful and that's something we can learn as a bank. how do we engage with these ecosystems and get them doing a lot of the the selling and bringing leads and customers into us Another thing I learned is really how Microsoft approaches all sorts of things like HR metrics KPIs in that space hiring how they do manage finance how they manage reporting and they're very very good at sales and how they think about solution selling and, and packaging of product. My time at MasterCard. It was a real, I suppose, a semi-step in stone. When I left Microsoft, I had offers to join banks. I wasn't ready to join a bank as yet. And so a halfway point is, was MasterCard, working under the chief innovation officer there, Gary Lyons, uh, a very interesting thought leader. And MasterCard did a lot of technical innovation. They spent a lot of time creating some very, very sophisticated, very, very cool prototypes which, which turned into products which enabled MasterCard to better engage directly with their customers. And what I learned there really is a lot of the the science of the innovation programs that were very, very mature. So
0: subsequently, you have joined the Development Bank of Singapore as the chief innovation officer. So what are your roles and responsibilities?
1: Yes, that's a difficult one. I suppose my, um, uh, the biggest single thing I do, I suppose, is is with the team that that fill the gaps at the bank. So I didn't come into the bank with any preconceptions. I mean, my first day at the bank, I call up with the CEO. He obviously interviewed me. And I said, Piyush, you know, what's your innovation strategy? He said, it's very, 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 very simple, very powerful. He goes, I hired you. Wow. Yeah, so that was quite scary. I suddenly realized, actually, in all the other jobs I've done, there's always been someone above who has a better idea of what your role could be, whether it's, you know, a sales director or whether it's a chief innovation officer. And so I thought, right, I, I'm not going to. I'm just going to talk to people in the bank understand their strategy work out where the gaps are and really roll our own innovation group strategy around that which we think would have the best impact so we decided as a group to do a few things which are very very different one of the things is that everything we do has to be in partnership no one in the innovation group we're a fairly small group we're what 10 people now when i started there was only five of us Um, Everyone in the innovation group has to partner with one of the business units. We don't do stuff in, in isolation. Second thing is we never invent anything. We are focused on turning the entire bank into an innovation group. So our number one thing is how we evolve the culture of the organization. You can't buy a culture. You can't change a culture. You can only ever evolve it. And so we're solely focused on the 22,000 staff, how we mentor them, how we coach them, how we introduce them to startups, to students, run programs to inspire them and educate them then to create the next range of products and services, which is going to make DBS the leading bank in Asia.
0: And I just saw I wanted to make a quick short intro about the Development Bank of Singapore, which most people in Asia call DBS Group currently at a market capitalization of forty five point five billion, somewhere around thirty two point three billion US, depending on the exchange rate. They have operations in seventeen markets, and basically the bank has a regional network that spans more than two hundred and fifty branches and over about one thousand one hundred automated teller machines across fifty cities. So it is not it is not a very simple effort to actually run innovation for you on that. How does DBS, as a bank, have decided to embark on the path of innovation. And what is kind of the threats to the current Asia
1: banking sector uh, as a
0: whole, not not just to the bank itself?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's threats to the entire banking sector worldwide, and and we're certainly feeling it here in Asia. If I, you know, I'll quote my CEO Pius, who said that. Asian banking is a burning platform. So we fundamentally get that with the new wave of digital disruptors, new wave of startups and fintechs entering our industry, they will fundamentally change financial services. They will change the way that our consumers engage with finance. If we look at what's happening in China, You know, China's got the biggest banks in the planet. So five of the top biggest banks in the planet are in China. They've got some of the world's biggest tech and e-commerce companies, the Alibabas, the Beidus, et cetera. And they're both fighting over the finance of 1.3 billion people. So you look at Alibaba, yeah? They created a investment fund, a supermarket fund, sorry, money market fund. And they went to $100 billion under management in about a year. Which is huge, yeah. Now, Ant Financial and AliPay is now got valued about 45 to 50 billion U.S. dollars, and so you have seen these huge giants rising out of China. We're starting to see big e-commerce companies rising out of India. The you know the Flipkarts. Flipkart, Snap Snapdeal. We're seeing Tokopedia coming out of Indonesia. They all want the same model. The, I mean, the fundamental thing here is that there's more money in banking than there is in tech. So of just three months of revenue, worldwide revenue in financial services, with that money, you could go out and buy Apple, Google, Amazon, and Facebook. That's right. There's a huge amount of money in financial services. And digital banking is a term that I'm sure many of you heard. Digital banking, in my view, isn't about banking. And I think a lot of the banks have got it wrong. They think digital banking is about banking. It's actually about digital. Yep. So mm-hmm. it's about how you engage with potential customers and customers in a very, very different way and how you find where they're living and where they're playing, where they're working and how you can get there with a friction-free, highly contextual financial offering that they will find valuable.
0: I recall from the Forrester Oswong event that you and I both speak in when you talk about uh, that the bank is not thinking as a bank but thinking as a technology company, an e-commerce company and also thinking about the customers. How do you actually organize these new startups or within entrepreneurship within the corporation itself to sort of facilitate that innovation within
1: DBS itself? Yeah, I mean, it's one thing, it's a very difficult and significant journey that we're on to make that happen. It's not for the faint-hearted, but we felt that was the best strategy. Rather than Inventing a few new cool products for the bank, we thought actually let's take the bull by the horns. Let's evolve the culture of the organization. So we have a number of programs. A good example will be our hackathon program where we engage startups. We we mash them up with DBS staff and we get them to solve bank problems over three days. And the startups get to learn about the culture of a bank. They get to spend time with senior banking executives. And our banking executives get to understand the mindset and the can-do attitude and the agility of a startup. And so there's a great cultural exchange. And we didn't do that once. We did it at scale. And we actually did it as a training program. And so we were one of the first companies in the world to reinvent their training to be a hackathon. And that was hugely successful for us. We engaged uh, 250 of our top leaders. So we went for the top leadership at the bank went through that program another program we have for example is called sparkies that's where people in the bank for one day a month they can come work with the innovation group and run experiments they get to test things around our our strategy our product our service our customer insight and they get to do that one day a month and that is having a huge cultural change inside the organization which is a bit more like you know a tech company's model, and to that point, this year we're going to run a thousand experiments across the bank. Already, we're over six hundred. Um, our financial year ends in December, so we're tracking very well to make that happen. And you also
0: have also worked with one of the largest research groups with A Star, where you actually did something that is actually totally out of the blue, which was improving auditing. You want to talk a little bit about that story?
1: Yes, that was quite a surprise. So you know, we we realised that. Uh, Data is critical to the success of the future of our organization. And so we set up a data science lab in partnership with the government research agency, ASTAR, and a particular division called I Squared R. And we have a facility, we have their top uh, quad PhD data scientists, doctorates, if you will, in a facility with DBS staff. Every year we take five big challenges that can be solved by data inside the bank. We did one around ATM failure. We've done one around branch queues. We did one around customer understanding. And we've done one around predictive maintenance and one around audit. And what we've got to, we actually recently were the first bank to win the uh, Singapore Institute of Engineers Award for innovation, yes, for our audit project because it was so far advanced we can actually – Predict with a certain degree of accuracy when there will be an audit issue in one of our branches, mm. and so we, as I said, we were the first bank ever to win to win that award, and that was driven from that relationship and that data science lab with A Star. Mm. And you put basically the ground staff together to work with the PhDs,
0: so to be able to get the correct data and the correct analysis to make th- that those kind of audit tracking basically
1: that's right yeah and a lot of the work we do is not just data science it's kind of you know machine learning and natural language processing but the important thing is all in all the innovation we do is to get as many different parties as you can who think differently with different skill sets into one location which is outside the bank and get them to solve the right problems and all our programs are structured that way and the a star uh, data science lab has been hugely successful for us. We're into year two now And we have another five projects that they that were busily working on but that's critical is is just having rather than doing anything in Isolation is have the people with the the domain knowledge around the bank Have the people with the kind of data science knowledge from a and have the people with the innovation knowledge from the innovation group in one Facility focused on the right challenge and
0: DBS have actually also organized hackathons for a lot of like broad category areas like, for example, Blockchain 101 on, and that involves startups. And I know you have been very active with the startup community. So what is the Innovations Office footprint in places like Block 71? And I also understand that you also have something involved in Hong Kong too with the Nest
1: Accelerator. That's right. Uh, You know, uh, we realize the bank staff shouldn't be the ones who continue to invent the future of the bank. We need people who think differently. We need to engage customers, university students, and especially startups who, startups are really great at at getting quickly to a point and creating an experience which customers really love. Yeah. And they don't do that by accident. They didn't wake up and go, right, I've got the new Facebook in my head. Uh, You know, Mark Zuckerberg never went like that and then built that exact thing and it's as it is today. No, no, no. He came up with something slightly different. He spent time with people. They, they did very different, very rapid iterations, pivoted change, pivoted change, and it ended up with that exact perfect thing that, that we all know and love today. And so we want to move to that point. So part of that is being a responsible citizen in the startup community. And I say that because a lot of corporates, I think, work with startups to get their corporate ambitions met. We're the development bank of Singapore. The key is in the word development, yeah? We were set up to develop businesses. We see startups with that same lens. And so we try and have a symbiotic relationship with them we bring them into our facilities. We feed and water them. We mentor them, and in exchange for that, we hope to, you know, either get access to new customers. We get access to some smart staff we may hire. We get access to new products or services that we can use at the bank. So we've had we've got a three year relationship with Startup Bootcamp, which is a fintech accelerator at Block seventy nine. We have our Nest accelerator at Hong Kong, and but what we've noticed is. We felt we weren't developing enough Singapore businesses in Singapore. And so what we've done, we're launching our own pre-accelerator. It's happened in partnership with IAPL, a division of IDA. Next week, it's launching wow. in Block 79, yes. And we've deliberately tried to target Singaporeans who've got a smart idea and haven't built their product yet, or some smart Singaporeans who don't have an idea. We'll give them an idea and we'll coach and mentor, them. we'll pay them to turn that into a commercial product so they can build a business. And hopefully it's a product that DBS can use. But that is secondary. Most importantly, you want to develop the businesses. And guess what? There's no catch. We're not taking equity. We're not demanding that they just work with us. We're paying them and we're giving them somewhere where they can build that into a product. This is the first time that DBS has ever run its own accelerator style. But the idea is it's a pre-accelerator. So at the end of three months, they've got a product. They're ready then to go into acceleration and turn that into a successful company.
0: I think one of the common things that you and I share is that we are both doing digital transformation within our organizations. I think one of the crucial ingredients in digital transformation, people love change but don't want to do the transformation. Do you think that support from the senior management becomes very crucial in the way how you have managed to take this innovation office so far?
1: Absolutely, yeah, Um, I I got asked I was on a panel recently and, and somebody from the audience they asked me, said, Hey Neil, you're seen as a successful innovator. What's your number one tip for being a successful chief innovation officer? And my response was, pick the right CEO. Yeah. <laughs> it's no um, it's it's uh it's not any harder than that. Yeah. I, I I pick the right CEO, I pick the right company to work for that's in the right place. Yeah. And but even so, even when you have the CEO talking about disruption and the importance of us changing it makes your job easier but it doesn't make it easy yeah but the point my point is whatever happens every single company will feel digital disruption and if you don't believe that then geez just look at taxis yeah go back even a couple of years you could have talked to a taxi driver and said do you know what you're going to be digitally disrupted they would have laughed for about an hour they would have said "Well, a minute we don't have a website we've got cars what do you mean, digitally disrupted? And now, you know, one of the most valuable companies in the world and rising is Uber. Yes. And the biggest, you know, unicorn in Southeast Asia is Grab Taxi.
0: Mm, that's right. So I'm going to move out from your day to day work, but I want to ask you a little bit about what do you view certain areas on the whole picture of digital disruptions against banking? What are yeah. your thoughts on Bitcoin and blockchain?
1: Um, so, you know, very, very interested in the blockchain technology, very sophisticated in the way that it enables a distributed kind of ledger or ownership model. We're less interested in Bitcoin as a currency. It fluctuates a lot. It's more like a commodity. Yep. Um, but it behaves like gold, right? Yeah, it does behave like gold. You look at the charts in there, and, and so we're, we're less interested in that. But the technology that powers Bitcoin, the blockchain, we think can be incredibly valuable. So we've run a hackathon to try and get concepts and ideas. We're actively working with a bank in Singapore and looking at how we can use this you know, in a kind of trade scenario. I think the fact that this distributed ledger, that no one owns the kind of central authority on the ledger, in effect that everyone trusts it, the fact that actually blockchain's never been hacked, and you hear these stories about Bitcoin being hacked, Bitcoin's never been hacked. What has happened is essentially each of these Bitcoins has a key. What's happened is somebody left the keys lying around. So the underlying technology has never been hacked, it's just somebody found the keys, they left them in an insecure place, and it enabled them essentially to take those coins out. So it's never been hacked in that regard. But also on the converse side, there's a lot of people saying blockchains and Bitcoin's going to destroy banking, it could be used for everything. You know, there is a lot of hype. And so cutting through with any new technology... What's the, you know, the one or two things that it's really good at and is going to have the biggest impact is something that the chief innovation officer has to get to very quickly. And we feel there's, a, there's a, there maybe something around, you know, cross-border payments and certainly something around, you know, trade and, and ownership and, and smart contracts.
0: What about the era of mobile payments? I mean, you see a lot of mobile commerce happening. What do you see in that piece as well?
1: I see a huge amount of failure happening in that space. It's a it's a graveyard of failed initiatives. And I think the issue with this is that a lot of organizations think that if you they went down the path of just putting a credit card on a phone and expecting that to be successful. Well, you know, a credit card is actually quite a good payment mechanism, especially the new Touch ones, yeah? You pull it out of your pocket. You tap it. You pull it back in your pocket. You're done. Mm. As an innovator, it's difficult to improve that. So there's been a lot of failure where people have assumed that just because it's on a phone, it's going to be better, and, and there's many, many failures. I think the important thing is, is finding out really a, a niche or a use case for that mobile payment scenario or a way to do something that you fundamentally can't do on a card uh, and so the big successes in this space are obviously people like move and bank so when you tap their phone it gives you instant feedback on how much you've spent this month, how much your friends have spent there's some kind of comparisons you're getting something above and beyond what a card could deliver and um, with our Paylar product the ability to pay someone just over a phone number that peer to peer payments again is solving a problem you can't do with cards and so my guidance is that you know mobile payments are certainly here to stay, mobile payments will, will increase um, but it it tends to be something that, that cards currently aren't doing because cards work pretty well and they're ubiquitous. Mm.
0: I, my penultimate question will be about innovating for markets. I understand that most of your current work, at least more the known work, is actually in developed markets where credit cards are very important. Of course, DBS have itself have presence in China, in India, where it is actually more emerging market
1: focus. How do you look at innovation from emerging markets versus developed markets? Interesting point. So we've been doing a lot of work. We're building new banks in India and China. So I've been out in India and China a lot since I've been at the bank. We're actually launching our digital bank India later this year, early next year. I think the thing with this is, is is with any innovation, is just not to go in with a preconception. Go spend time talking to these customers. You know, understand what they were trying to achieve in finance, what they value, how. But not only in finance. You know, understand. All sorts of things. How do they think about protecting their family? How do they think about marriage? How do they think about getting their first car, their first home? And really design around that. And if you go in with that philosophy with taking the ego out and kind of, you know, not thinking that you know the answer, then you can succeed in any market. But I think the key to a lot of these markets and, and entering, you know, trying to enter at scale with a new Digital proposition is really work out what your niche is going to be in there, not trying to solve everything. And also, what are the local players not doing? And thinking about what technology these people are using and how they use it. So, a lot of the things we uncovered in India is, for example, mobile payments, the tap and go payments wouldn't work. Because mm. a lot of people are using their phones, they don't use data on their phones, they use Wi Fi. So, when they go to work, they use the work wifi when they're at home. So, the phone. Is, is not current, constantly connected to a data source because it's quite expensive. A lot of them just use the free Wi-Fi that's around. And 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 so you really have to think about designing for those particular use cases. And leverage what's unique. In India, there's a identity mechanism called UID. And looking at how we can use that to authenticate people when they do a KYC to join the bank is something that we've been working with very much. But my biggest guidance is just go look, listen, learn, take your ego out of it. The only person who knows best is the customer. That is it. That's very valuable
0: advice. My last question, Neil, how do my audience find you? I know you have a
1: Twitter account. Okay, yes. I don't have a huge Twitter account. If you want to Get hold of me, the best place is LinkedIn. Oh, okay. My name's Neil Cross, And um, That's my favorite mechanism. You can follow me on Twitter. It's N-E-A-L underscore X, I believe is my Twitter account. Yeah,
0: the um, X is innovation. Uh, well, Cross, my last name. Oh, uh, I, so, uh, I got it wrong. Bro. Yes,
1: and you can read, I publish a lot on LinkedIn, you know, happy to reach out to me or... You can find me in Google. I'm not that far away. Um, I'm happy to engage and and answer any questions.
0: You can find me at bleangcw or bernardleong.com or subscribe to us at iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud. Please leave your ratings. And of course, we would love to hear feedback from you. And once again, Neil, thank you for coming on the show.
1: Thank you. It's been most enjoyable.